It is now my distinct pleasure to introduce you to our speaker, Dr. Catherine Delft. Dr. Catherine Delft reached the level of Invisalign Premier Advantage provider in 2006 and has been treating Invisalign patients in her Chicago practice since 2004. Honored by the American Association of Dental Schools as one of the 20, top 20 minority dentists in the United States, Dr. Delft has also served as associate clinical instructor in the restorative department of Northwestern University Dental School and associate attending resident at Michael Reese Hospital General Practice Residency Program. Dr. Delft was the major contributor of the straight talk about crooked teeth Invisalign brochure and video. So without any further delay, I'm going to turn the program over to Dr. Delft. Dr. Delft, the floor is now yours. Good morning. Thank you for taking the time to uh, review some information with me. And I hope that what I share as a general practicing Invisalign provider that uh, I can give you some insight as to how to better plan for your Invisalign treatment into your overall everyday general dentistry practice. So uh, without further ado, I'd like to just get started. Um, Here's a disclaimer slide stating that my opinions are not uh, specifically or wholly agreed upon by Align. These are my slides and my opinions only. And attendees are responsible for legal and regulatory compliance of any marketing and referral programs. So without further ado, um, prior to treating any Invisalign patients, a uh, general practitioner works we're responsible for treating each and every patient comprehensively, even though they may just come in for the Invisalign consult. So uh, prior to delivering the Invisalign, perform an exam, treat any active caries, manage the perio and establish good hygiene, manage acute TMD issues, and establish a treatment plan sequencing major restorative or cosmetic treatment according to the patient's needs with Invisalign treatment. When we're planning for Invisalign cases, three steps that I, I incorporate. The first thing I want to address is my patient's concerns. Secondly, I want to diagnose any additional conditions. And thirdly, then I sequence the treatment plan. The sequencing is based upon my patient's needs, and oftentimes their patient, the patient's finances and their benefits, uh, what they can afford and what they have available to them through their benefits often dictates what, how they go about their treatment. And this may not always be the most ideal situation, but that's the way of our world with how some patients are very insurance driven. So when, I, when I'm planning an Invisalign case as a general practitioner, I have to look at the alignment of the teeth, and I have to look at the alignment of the bite and jaws. And then the other thing I need to consider, since I am a general dentist, is the size, shapes, and shade of teeth. Uh, we're, we're far beyond uh, orthodontists in our skill set of what we are able to uh, deliver to our patients. We are not just confined with alignment uh, correction in our practices. and so it's our obligation to look at every case and every smile in the whole context of a general practitioner. 
when I first started doing Invisalign, one of my biggest mistakes was that I forgot I had all this other skill set and um, all these other tools in my box to, to uh, treat patients comprehensively. And alignment is only a facet of treatment uh, for our patients. So when I'm looking at the alignment of the teeth, you know, I just, it's a general yes or no question of, do, does that patient have good alignment? The second thing is I look at the alignment of the bite and jaws. Even though the teeth may be perfectly aligned, sometimes the bite is not. And then how do I, how do I really go about that? I think every doctor needs to have a system in place when they are looking at the bite and the alignment of teeth. So one of the things I always do in any patient for an initial exam or an Invisalign consult or a cosmetic dentistry consult or overall treatment plan is uh, this is the form that I use where I have the patient's name, their age, their health history, dental history, ortho history, any other appliance therapy as to whether they're wearing an occlusal guard, uh, bruxism appliance, sleep apnea appliance, oral habits, whether they're chewing their fingernails, cheek biting, um, biting on pens, tobacco usage, and what their chief concerns are. That is one of the most important things that I want to get out of my patient. And then I want to know what their goals and their expectation levels are. Because oftentimes, our, we may think a case is successful, but if we haven't met our patient's goals and expectations, in their mind, it's a failure. So I want to know right up front, can we align uh, what we can deliver to their goals and expectations? So the first page is more like an interview process where I'm asking them lots of questions and I want to hear from them. And then comes the intraoral exam part of the occlusal assessment. So I want to know their molar relationship, uh, class one, class two, class three, and also their canine relationship, their overbite, overjet, their midline, if they have crowding or spacing, crossbites, wear facets, intraoral trauma, intraoral lesions, missing teeth, any recommended dental treatments that may have been diagnosed in the exam, and recommended ortho treatments. If I find that they are interested with Invisalign, I review the IPR attachments compliance retention. I give them a time estimate, the fee estimate, and what we recommend for the next visit. So a lot of this is just filling in very quick answers and circling, and it does not take me any great amount of time. Uh, the most time that I spend is actually on the first page where there's a lot of exchange of information and more receipt of information from the patient. When I'm talking about the size, shapes, and shade of teeth, I have also what I call the smile assessment in my practice. So um, I have on there the full face, and I just mark if it's asymmetric, right or left side larger or shorter or longer. Gingival display, and I circle none, slight, moderate, severe. Incisal edge display from the upper lip is none, one to three millimeters, three to five, or greater than five. Position of the upper incisal edges to the lip line, and I mark whether it's posterior at the lip line or anterior. And what I mean by lip line is the vermilion border between the wet and dry line of the lower lip. That is a very important landmark uh, in cosmetic dentistry and also in functional dentistry because the uh, position of the central incisors dictates the alignment of everything 
And also, uh, I want to look at whether it is posterior, at, anterior, above, at, or below. So th those are very important landmarks for me is the central incisors. I also look at the curvature of the lower lip to the maxillary incisors. Are they uh, parallel, curved, straight? And I'm looking at the curvature of the lateral to lateral uh, of the maxillary incisors to the curvature of the lower lip. Uh, tooth proportion to maxillary incisors. You know, is it good? Are they small? And what's small and what's large? It's just a very quick assessment. It's not a thorough evaluation. And then I uh, mark any contour issues or anything that stands out, shade, and other. So again, this takes me five, five minutes at the most. Um, and it just gives me a quick overview of what I need to look for or if anything should stand out when I am looking at alignment or the patient's overall smile. So let's look at case one, where uh, this is an Invisalign-only case and how I have applied my assessment tools and my evaluation for me to plan out their alignment issues. So Nan came in and her chief concern wasn't even talking about Invisalign with me, but she actually came in to talk about some cosmetic dental solutions She's very uh, healthy, very fastidious with her hygiene, uh, also does a lot of whitening, as you can see. And um, her main concern was she didn't, I don't like my fangs. And when I took the retracted view, it doesn't look that bad, but one of the views I always like to take is the smile with the lips in context. And this is, this is where it looks very prevalent, her issue with the fangs. So I, I just mark, does she have good alignment? No, she doesn't. And with my occlusal assessment, what uh, we discovered was that she's had a, a history of previous orthodontics. She has a molar class two relationship, both on the right and left, and same with the canine. And um, she had a history, she said in her, in her ortho history, in the past of headgear and uh, so there was an attempt to correct her class too. She said she once had uh, a really um, a, a protruded lateral incisor and um, her fangs were also uh, very far out. And she said she was getting fangy again. Uh, she had an overbite of five to six millimeters and an overjet of two and wear facets of eight, on eight and 25. So in the smile assessment, what we found was a slight to moderate gingival display at the central and lateral incisors. And lateral, the lateral incisors were small in proportion to the central incisors and the canines. And the other thing that I notated, which is very common, is that the laterals were asymmetric. The right one is a little longer and wider than the left one. So, I notated what may have been the issue to the patient's perception of her fangs. And what I found was there was upper crowding with the canines too buckle and the premolars were too lingual. And the lateral and central incisors gum line was too far incisal compared to the canines. So the canines just looked like they were up high and sticking out. And the small lateral incisors also made the uh, canines look a lot more prominent. So my treatment options 
to NAD was just alignment only, where I could I could realign the teeth and kind of uh, mask or or realign the focus away from the canine. We could do alignment with resizing of the lateral incisors with resin or porcelain, or we could re just do restorative only where we, we resize the lateral incisors and premolars with resin or porcelain. And I give, I give the pros and cons to each, and I always, always tell the patient, if this were me, and I, with everything that I know, this is what I would want for myself, or this is what I would want for my daughter or my my sister, I, I always try to give them what I feel would be the best treatment suited specifically for their needs. So Kristen wanted to just explore what could be done with alignment alone. She, uh, she's young and she's healthy and she didn't necessarily want to affect the enamel of her own natural teeth. So we took a look to see what alignment could provide for her. So based on everything that I had notated in her smile assessment and her her occlusal assessment, this is this was the clin check that that we agreed upon. So I wanted to do some improvement of her, of her occlusion as well and her function. And this is what she ended up with. So we agreed uh, to just try the alignment first. She liked what she saw on the ClinCheck. She liked what my ideas were in regards to uh, what her her eyes were perceived as fangs, were perceiving as fangs. And when we put her back into better alignment, she was quite pleased. And that is how she finished. So you can see there that even though the lateral seemed smaller in relationship, um, also with proper positioning, the, the gum line does remodel. And um, also you can see that the canines are not as pronounced. So we go back and we assess, is the alignment good? Yes. And um, let's move on to the next case where we're incorporating some uh, resin bonding, some resizing of the teeth along with alignment. So we'll walk through this case and how we went about planning it. Henry's chief concern was that his teeth were shifting and they were shifting because of that. He ha he's very young. I met him when he first was graduating from school and he was starting the interview process for jobs and he said he didn't feel confident with how uh, his space uh, had reappeared, and also more than anything, he just didn't like the fact that his teeth were wearing down. Uh, he he felt that sharp wear on the lateral incisor, his his number seven. And uh, this was I, I take various views of photos. Even though when we're doing Invisalign, they asked us for eight views. Of, I like to take you know a close up of of their uh, anterior with their teeth apart because when his teeth are together, the amount of crowding really doesn't show up. So I just wanted to show that 
is a case of what we call unlike arches, where they're spacing on the top and crowding on the lower. When we look at his smile, uh, you know, you, he, you can see that the, uh, the lip line, it, his maxillary incisors are right about at where the lip line, where they should be both in length and in um, anterior posterior position. But obviously his alignment is not good. So there were numerous things that were that were notated both from his occlusal assessment and his his uh, smile assessment. But the one thing that I I really wanted to pay attention to was that he had really good solid posterior occlusion with and also a good solid class one relationship, even though there was misalignment in both the upper and the lower anterior segments, uh, the occlusion was actually pretty good in the back. So I don't like to really change things around, especially in someone this young, um, if, if they are comfortable in their occlusion. Uh, he had five to six millimeters of overbite and three millimeters of overjet. Upper and lower uh, midline were centered uh, where, where I mean by centered is that the upper midline is, I, I look at the anatomic landmarks of the midline. So the upper midline is the uh, buccal frenum, the incisive papilla, and the maxillary midline suture. And on the lower, it is the uh, buccal and the lingual frenum. And oftentimes, teeth may be centered uh, in within the arch with their uh, anatomic landmarks, but they are not centered with each other. And one of the things that I have been, uh, I have learned is that you really don't want to move the upper midline against its own anatomic landmarks of what the center is. And there are often times where the upper and the lower midline do not coincide. Um, their anatomic landmarks do not coincide. So uh, one of the things that I wanted to set the expectation with him was that the that his midline anatomically did not coincide uh, with each other, even though the upper midline was centered with the upper maxillary midline and the lower midline was centered with the mandibular midline, the anatomical uh, midline. Um, there were some other things that were notated: eight and nine were asymmetric, and six and eleven are asymmetric. So the conditions related to the patient's concern was mainly that he had unlike arches. Uh, he had a misaligned bite along with a misalignment of teeth. So his treatment options were alignment only or alignment with resizing of the lateral and I gave him the choice of resin or porcelain. So I'm going to show you his clin check. And this is 
So like I said previously, I really didn't want to do any movement in the molar segments because he had such a good solid uh, occlusion back there. And I did not really want to disturb the class on relationship of the canine. And this is what he finished with after the first round of aligners. And there was some refinement that needed to be done. I wasn't happy with the uh, little bit of openness on the left side at the premolar area. And also, I felt that the uh, upper maxillary incisors needed to be brought forward a little bit more to open up the envelope of function. And I oftentimes fail to do enough IPR. I, I always try to do less IPR than too much IPR so that the alignment didn't quite express fully. So there was another, there was another uh, round of records and there was another ClinCheck that was, that was fabricated for the patient. Let me play this again, I'm sorry. So this time what I did was I actually planned to do, uh, I had to make some additional spacing. When I originally planned with his original ClinCheck, I used my uh, formula of proportions of what I like to see with the width of the laterals versus the centrals. And you can always do that. Uh, when you are examining the ClinCheck, when they end up, are they in the proportions that you you ascribe to with your you know aesthetic dentistry uh, training? And when I originally did that, I, I felt like that it was within the proportions not to leave the spaces. But what I what I found was that uh, he he did need to have some spaces made available just because I needed to open up his envelope of function a little bit further. And um, what this shows here, the IPR is what was actually done and there was a little bit more that needed to be done. And this is how he finished with the resin bonding. So the the lateral incisors were made a little bit wider uh, than what he initially presented, and we did a little bit of uh, reshaping here of this central incisor because when, when the alignment actually expressed, it was quite a different shape. So I, I try and make things as symmetric as possible. We kept the, the restorative end of resizing the teeth very conservative since he's so young. Uh, I would have ideally wanted to have done all four maxillary incisors to just give a better balance and, and actually give a little bit more freedom for the lower jaw to come out. But because of his budget and because of his age and just his hesitancy to do more work than what he felt was necessary, uh, we did a little bit more IPR and and ultimately, you know, he, he had a huge improvement in the smile. So as 
as dentists, I think oftentimes we get very critical and we want to idealize everybody. And we have to really listen to the needs of our patients and give them options within the limits of what is going to be healthy and, and as well as aesthetic for them. And um, he was very pleased with the results and he, he felt much more confident and now is gainfully employed and, and uh, he attributes his uh, confidence uh, to his smile. Here's case three where uh, this is Invisalign with a crown and a veneer and this patient Hannah came in. She came in uh, into my emergency column. Uh, she called because she got my name from a colleague and she had a chipped veneer and she had a very important meeting to get to later that afternoon. So her main concern was to have this veneer fixed. Now, when I assessed her alignment, it, she wasn't in good alignment. It wasn't bad, but it certainly wasn't good. And I, I advised her that there were some issues going on with, with her bite and with her alignment, but she came in for an emergency and she specifically said, I need this tooth fixed today. I will be back for later. So our job as dentists is to just tell them what we see in that limited exam that we're doing. And I get, when, when they're coming in for a specific problem, we, we don't do the comprehensive exam when they refuse x-rays and what have you. So we just took the x-rays that were necessary to fix this up. Um, but in talking with her, what we found out was that she had a history of numerous fractures. Um, she has a, I'll go back to this photo. You can see that she's had a veneer placed on number eight, which is porcelain. And that was because she had a mesial incisal chip at the corner of number eight. And then number nine was also that type of, of um, fracture, but that it started at the mesial and extended all the way to the distal. And she had the veneers placed because of the initial chipping that she had. It started with bonding and went to porcelain. And um, what she told me was that from the initial photo that the porcelain veneer had completely fractured off. This is another fix with a composite veneer that had kind of, uh, that is falling apart. So obviously there's been a repeat of things happening and she also has had a root canal on number nine from all this work that just kept cycling and churning over and over. It wasn't any, uh, I asked her specifically, did you have any traumatic event that would have caused the devitalization of that tooth or that nerve to die? And she just said, no, it was just a sequence of work being done over and over and chipping. And, and um, so she had quite a bit of history uh, because of the, the bonding that was initially done. And I think the bonding would have been much more successful if the alignment and leveling was addressed. So what we did was we, uh, what I did was I just repaired the bonding that she had existing. I didn't even try and take everything off because when I feel that there's a alignment issue of the, or misalignment issue of the bite, 
and function. I don't like to guarantee any of the work long-term, and especially if they've told me that this has been an ongoing issue for them for years. So, uh, you know, when, when someone comes in for that limited exam and they refuse all other treatments, um, I, I generally don't give them any promises of how much longer their repair is going to be, and um, I don't try and do any extensive work because all I'm going to do is set them up for disappointment. So she did, she did come back and um, come in for an exam and, and what we found was, you know, we reviewed her numerous fractures. She had previous orthodontics. She has molar class one and canine class one right and left. Um, her crowding was mild on upper and lower, but I think her problem was more of the leveling issue in conjunction with the crowding. Uh, they, she had misalignment uh, of her left midline, um, was half a millimeter to the right, and she had wear, uh, ab fraction, gingival recession, and overbite and overjet. So, with their smile assessment, you know, things always look worse with the lips retracted or sometimes they look better. So again, this is why I like to take the photos with a smile, with the lips in context. And uh, what we found here is that the eight and nine are asymmetric in width. Eight and nine are different material, shades, opacity, and surface texture. Eight shows the fracture line of where she had the bonding before, and she didn't like that either. Uh, that was just a minimal prep felt pathic veneer, so there was not a lot of masking of, of what was underneath. She had no gingival display, so um, it didn't really show that the dark intrinsic staining, uh, uh, not on number eight, but number nine, I'm sorry, that's a typo. Uh, but she had quite a bit of intrinsic staining from the previous orthodontics or, or uh, endodontics, but it didn't seem to be as prevalent since most of that shows at the at the gum line. So when she smiled, it, it didn't seem as much of a problem when when things were masked. So the conditions related to the patient's failed anterior resins was the lower crowding and super eruption. And number nine was lingual and rotated. And she had a uh, a tight envelope of function where her lower jaw was quite quite uh, restricted. So her treatment options that I presented to her was just, uh, I wanted her to get some perio treatment for the amount of uh, recession that she had. I wanted her to uh, get a perio consult and, and would he, uh, the periodontist that I work with, he, he did recommend some perio treatment so I told her it would be strictly perial and restorative only, but I told her what the uh, limitations were, and especially with her history. And then the second option I gave her was alignment with porcelain veneer on number eight and porcelain crown on number nine, and then perio treatment. And I apologize for the uh, paper there. So let's review her clean check. Load. 
And I, I uh, said earlier, I, I, I felt that much of what was uh, the problem with, with her function and her bite was that she had quite a bit of uh, super eruptions, and I wanted to get better leveling for her. So from the occlusal view, you can also see I expanded and elongated the arch and and the upper really wasn't as much of a dramatic visual change, but what you can see here is how much she ha she changes in her in her function. So I was I was happier with her alignment and her leveling. And this is how she finished with her with her new uh, porcelain work and also she had some um, gingival grafts and uh, Phrenectomies for the muscle attachments at, at the um, muscle attachments at the bicuspid. So she was still uh, in the healing phases of some of that grafting, but she was quite happy. And and what she didn't realize was she also uh, later on told me that she didn't realize how sensitive she was to certain beverages. And then once the grafting was actually done, that she. She enjoyed drinking ice water. She said she just never did, and and uh, she just subconsciously kind of tucked that away, and and she felt like she just had better function and was so much happier with how she looked. And um, we're tracking her carefully at every at every recall visit just to make sure that she still is in good function because I don't want her restoration to fail. Um, but this has been several years now, and. And she uh, was actually uh, very, very um, emotional at, at one of her follow-up visits. She said, you know, I really, really hated coming to the dentist. And she said, it was just fraught with disappointment and problems and emergencies. And I started resenting having to go to the dentist all the time. And she said, now that I'm done with all my work, she goes, I miss coming to see you guys. So, you know, I think that's always you know, gratifying for us as dentists when we can not only change someone's restorative situation or their functional situation, but also their emotional and psych psychological situation with how they feel about taking care of themselves. Last case that I want to share is the uh, is face planning for implant placement with Invisalign. And one of the things that I find is when people start losing teeth, then everything else seems to fall apart uh, because teeth really like to move around. Um, this is Greg, and, and um, he's one of these patients that, that's very young. He was, he was born without his, uh, his uh, permanent premolars. He, he had uh, deciduously retained premolars, and I think one by one he told me he had them extracted as they were falling out or decaying. So for being his 
uh, he was he was only in his early 30s, but if you look at his mouth, it, it, it doesn't reflect that of someone so young and healthy. Um, so what he was specific about wanting me to address was the space on his lower left quadrant. And he had uh, less money left over, so he felt like he could just, if we could just move, make sure that tooth is moved a little bit straighter for that implant to go in. He wasn't really concerned much about anything else except for that one specific area. So uh, from a radiographic view, this is, this is what he presented with us. Um, it looks like there was adequate space to place that implant. Mesial to that premolar with a little bit of root shift, but really when you take the radiograph, and actually we, we also do a 3D imaging with an with a ICAT. But this is the radiograph just to show you that the position of the root was smack in the middle of that eventual space between the molar and, and the canine. His presenting conditions, if you look on the right side, um, he had another implant in the bicuspid area. Um, he has only one premolar on the upper right, two premolars on the upper left. He has quite a bit of asymmetry in his arches. He has quite a bit of recession on number three, posterior open bite on the right side. Um, I'm going to back up to this photo, and you can see how uh, his occlusal and incisal plane slopes down from right to left on the upper and slopes up from right to left. So hence he has that open bite in the posterior area. And he has congenitally 5, 13, 20, and 29 missing, but he has a bridge to replace 13 and he wants an implant to replace 29. Uh, or he has an implant that replaced 29, but he didn't do anything about number five and also didn't do anything about number uh, number 20. So what he wants to address now is number 20. So this is clearly somebody that wants things done piecemeal. He, he's gone quadrant at a time getting his uh, missing teeth fixed. And uh, it, it's just been a hodgepodge of dentistry. So when we do the smile assessment, actually from the smile, he doesn't look that bad with all the things considered. So um, I think that's part of his lack of motivation to look at everything comprehensively. He has a moderate gingival display. Uh, the only thing he, uh, the other thing he also pointed out was he didn't like the shade. The value of the PFM bridge was lower than his natural dentition that he has actually whitened. So, He's aesthetically driven, uh, financially driven, has, has a lack of uh, appreciation for comprehensive treatment. And the other thing he brought up was he didn't like the black triangle between eight and nine. It always looked like he had food stuck in his teeth, but it was actually space. So um, those were his major concerns with his smile, and those are the things that I looked at. And if you just look at the, the smile assessment, it's, it's not all that bad. So what were the conditions related to the patient's concerns? He had passive eruption into spaces of the missing teeth. So his main objective was just to get that implant properly placed 
uh, so he could use up his flex spending money. So these are the treatment options that I presented to him with comprehensive alignment, with comprehensive restorative treatment and implant placement to idealize the occlusion and to provide more arch symmetry or just limited alignment and limited restorative treatment to place the implant and to improve the occlusion. I'm going to show you what, what was decided upon. He went for the limited treatment. Um, you know, we talked about possibly, uh, you can see here, just one moment, I'm going to wait for this to load up. You can see here how he has the arch symmetry of just one uh, premolar up here. I, I talked about potentially idealizing this area by making the space for the implant to be placed here as well. And idealizing the situation down here. And really he just wanted to look a little bit better and wanted us to do the best we can with what he had. And he might deal with the, the upper right next year when he had more money. So the best we can do is give pros and cons. Um, what we elected to do with the, with the 3D imaging and the radiograph he started like this, and instead of moving the root distally, what we, what I decided to do was actually to tip the crown mesially. Uh, that, with the align, with the aligners ripping on the teeth and giving more surface area of where the force is delivered, I, I felt that the tipping of that tooth and distalization of the molars was more predictable than just the tipping of the root itself. So, uh, and there was also some uh, super eruption here. And in all actuality, this was tooth number 20 that was missing and not number 21. So I just wanted to push 21 into the proper position of where it belonged. And uh, I, we planned for uh, my colleague, uh, does the implant placements and uh, with the with the width of the of the uh, implants and uh, preservation of the biologic width, we elected to have eight millimeters of space created. And the nice thing about the new uh, the latest version of the ClinCheck is that. Back in the day, we had to go into the treatment tab and look at the movement assessment, and that's how we knew whether certain teeth could be moved predictably or not. And now they, we don't have to go through all those empty steps and, uh, or extra steps. And here, if you see a blue or a black dot, all you have to do is place your cursor over, and um, I'm going to magnify this for you. And the black dot is because I was... Uh, requesting 1.48 millimeters of intrusion and uh, the range of predictability in a posterior tooth is less than one. But uh, I made the judgment call that that's not going to be as difficult as it seems because it wasn't pure vertical intrusion. What it was is it was also just intrusion happening from better angulation. 
The other thing too, the occlusal uh, warning came up in red. And what you can do is click on here and show the occlusal context of where the interferences will be. And it was mainly here where the molar is being distalized. So, you know, my rule is, is when something fits together in a bad bite, when you put it into a good bite, it's never going to fit very well. And I couldn't move this bridge and he did not want to have, it, it was okay from a marginal standpoint, so he was not interested in replacing that bridge. But one of the things that uh, I did talk to him about was that there was quite a ditched out resin that ultimately in the future that we should have a crown on it. So we, uh, and I advised him that during the treatment, I may be taking filing down some of that tooth to get the bite corrected as it's moving along. And one of the things that I, I have found when you are moving molar teeth and uprighting them, it's the occlusal interference that will hinder the movement from happening predictably. So in a case like this where there's difficult movements involved, uh, I do more careful monitoring where I see the patient every four weeks versus six to eight weeks of, that I normally do. Um, and one of the reasons is I want to be able to adjust the occlusion. Uh, you know, during the monitoring visits, one of the things that's really stressed is to check the inner, the, the contacts between the teeth so that movements can express. And one of the things that's not uh, emphasized enough is to also check the interarch of, of contacts because the occlusal forces can hinder the movement from expressing properly, especially in the molar teeth. So uh, what we did was as, as he came in every four aligners, I would do, do the adjustments to make sure there were no heavy uh, bite marks on that lower molar. And this is how he finished where, uh, surprisingly, there was no refinement that actually had to be done. I think he was so motivated just to spend his flex money and to, uh, he didn't like wearing the aligners very much that uh, he just knew if he wore them, he would finish. And, and this was done with uh, no refinement. And um, the best thing about this treatment is that there was plenty of space that was made for a full-size uh, implant and his occlusion was actually quite good on the left side considering what he originally presented with. And we got him better occlusal contacts on the right side. It's not the prettiest arrangement, but uh, we actually got him into feeling better and more comfortable about being able to chew on both sides. So to sum everything back up, I think it's very important for us as, a, as general practitioners is to plan Invisalign cases, keeping everything in mind with everything else we do in dentistry. So we have to look at the alignment of the teeth, the alignment of the bite and jaws, and also the size and shapes of the teeth. And uh, realize that alignment isn't the only 
consideration when when uh, we are assessing smiles and um, and also when we are planning the Invisalign cases to always consider the patient's concern first because what we may think is the best treatment for them is always going to fall short when we don't meet their level of expectations. So uh, I always consider what my patient's concern is first. Uh, if, if there isn't anything so uh, so into the deep end with, with their health, I diagnose their conditions and then we sequence according to the patient's needs, their finances and their benefits and also their time. So, you know, oftentimes patients are motivated to have treatment done because of a life event that's going to occur, such as, you know, as, as, as Henry's case, he wanted to make sure he was going to be feeling more confident for his job interviews that were going to be happening. Um, or oftentimes we have rides, we have reunions, uh, we have weddings of family members. So uh, all of this needs to be, be taken into consideration when we're planning and it will really alter what our ultimate treatment goal will be and what the treatment options will be. And lastly, what I wanna summarize is that we should incorporate alignment with Invisalign into the comprehensive treatment plan of each and every patient. So that's why I said start with just even assessing does that patient have good alignment? Because I strongly feel as a general dentist that's a success of what I do every day as a general dentist relies so much upon good alignment and leveling of the teeth and also good alignment of the bite and the jaws. So uh, that is uh, what I have to say as, as a whole in, in um, case planning within this line as into the general practice. Thank you so much, Dr. Delft, for the great presentation. And I wanna cover one quick thing that's really important. In order for you to receive your CE certificate for this program, Currently on the screen right now, there's a link to take the survey. Um, you will need to go out and complete this survey. Um, once it's completed, you will have immediate access to your CE certificate. So please go there after the completion of this program. And um, if you experience any problems with viewing the presentation or the archive of the program, uh, if you had any experience any issues today, <clears throat> pardon me, I just want to let you know it will be available on the education tab of the Invisalign Doctor's site. I also want to thank Dr. Delft for the great presentation and for all of you taking time out of your Friday to join us. We look forward to seeing you at another Ask the Expert uh, webinar. Thank you, Dr. Delft, and thank you, everyone. Have a great rest of your day.